Brilliant. And that leaves it for me to just welcome Steph, who's going to come and preach this morning. Let's give him a big welcome. Thanks. Is it? Can you hear me? Yep, great. Hello everyone, I'm Steph, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, just to say the Hot Topics is up in the chapel, which is right at the top, so you have to go um, down the main corridor halfway, turn, if you're going that way, turn left by the toilets and then through the door and just follow, follow as many stairs upwards as you can and then when you get to the top you're in the chapel, so that's where we, that's where we will be for Hot Topics, um, that's 2 to 4pm. Okay, great. So we are looking at the life of David with a particular emphasis on the subjects of worship and war. The sermon series is called Worship and War. And we are studying the Psalms. What you find is in the Bible, there's a book called the Psalms around the middle. And there's really a collection of songs, 150 of them, almost half written by King David of Israel. And some of the Psalms at the start of them, it says David wrote this when this happened. And so what we're doing, it's a series on the Psalms, but we're particularly using those Psalms where we know when David wrote them, so we can lock it into the narrative, we know what was going on in his life when he wrote them, because it's really helpful for us, those of us who are here, who are believers, those of us who are looking to follow the Lord, to escape that kind of trap that can happen where you disconnect your worship, your relationship with God, you disconnect it from day-to-day life. It can happen all too easily, specifically if you are in a secular culture like ours is, it's very, very easy to disconnect your relationship with God with day-to-day life. The beauty of looking at these Psalms is that we are um, digging into deep spiritual interaction between David and God, but we know what it's rooted in circumstantially. We know what's going on. We know he's facing things that we face, to be honest, much more extreme a lot of the time than we face, but similar kind of themes. And so the whole idea is is that we, through this, will learn how to increasingly worship God in the midst of day-to-day life, effectively, fruitfully, and also engage in warfare of a spiritual nature. So engage meaningfully with learning how to Deal with spiritual opposition. The Bible says our warfare is not against people, it's against unseen powers. That's reality, it's, it's as real, you could say more real than what is seen. But very often we don't, we're not as discerning and we're not as equipped as we might be in it. And sometimes we can get, find ourselves being slapped around a bit more than we need to be spiritually because we're not ready. The Bible says that God trains our hands for war. Spiritual warfare is real and primarily takes place in the mind, in the heart, in the, in the inner musings of ourselves. That's where the, the, the heat of the warfare really happens. Things happen circumstantially, but where, we, where, what really, where, where the heat of the battle is, the epicenter of it, is right in our souls. And so we've got to learn about these things if we're going to be equipped. Um, we're going to read Psalm 57 together. In just a moment. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to just talk to you about something that's called the, the uh, academics call worldview. Even if you've never heard of it, don't worry. When I explain what it is, you'll go, "Oh yeah, I've got one of those." Okay, so it's okay. 
Worldview is really what it sounds like. It's, your, it's, it's the way you see life, how you understand and interpret life. And it's very, very important that we understand about things about worldview because the way the worldview operates is very powerful but quite subtle. So the worldview operates a bit like a pair of glasses. You don't necessarily notice them, really, but you see everything through them. They impact everything that you're seeing. And so your understanding of life, your understanding of how things in life work, how life works, what life's about. That it's like your, your set of deepest beliefs about life. Even if you couldn't write them down and articulate them, it's what drives you. It's what drives your understanding, your interpretation of events. What's going on? What does my life mean? How am I doing? You will interpret all the answers to those questions out of your worldview, the things that you really deeply, deeply believe in. And that matter to you. And very often you find people become Christians, but their worldview doesn't change. Let me give an example. Imagine that you are in a very superstitious culture. Superstition is all about fear. Okay? Don't do that, because that might happen. Do that, because if you don't, that might happen. It's all about fear. Some cultures are very, very superstitious. We have it a little bit in our culture, but it it's, grips certain people, but it's not a huge deal. Some cultures are massively dominated by superstition. And um, when someone from a culture like that becomes a believer, becomes a Christian, what can happen is, is that they can, they can take the gospel and they can attach it to their current culture so that the gospel kind of changes their life to some degree but never challenges their worldview. And so even though they're looking to be a Christian, their life is still dominated by fear. Strange, illogical, irrational fears still dictate the decisions that they make and, and the state of their soul. Does that make sense? And it's where the gospel hasn't been able to go deep enough and penetrate and, and give a brand new worldview. The interesting thing about our worldview in, in the UK is what I would call, rather than superstitious, I would call it, it's a, it's, it's a worldview of self-sovereignty. And here's what I mean. It's basically this. It's, it's, the, it's the very, very deep belief that... M- m- I somehow, to me and for me, represent ultimate reality and I will interpret everything that happens through how it makes me feel and, 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 uh, and, and what I think about it and whether I think it's okay or not. For example, has anyone ever spoken to someone, maybe you became a Christian and you said to someone, I've become a Christian. And your friend's first response wasn't, oh, tell me about that. Well, why do you believe that? But it was, I'm really happy for you. And you were like, oh, wow, thanks. That's amazing. And then as the conversation goes on, your friend says, yeah, because if, it's make it, if it makes you feel better, then I'm really happy. And I've been in conversations like that. I've heard conversations like that. What's going on there? When that person is saying that, what they're saying is this, is that essentially it's not really about whether you, what you believe is true or not. That's not really important. What matters is it's made your life better. And the reason why that's the most important thing is because, is because your well-being and your sense of well-being is paramount. It's actually sovereign. That's the determining factor for everything. So you see, our culture's changed quite a lot in the last few decades. It used to be an essentially, I guess you'd call it maybe Christian, maybe, maybe not Christian, but kind of moral sort of framework. There was an absolute belief about what's true and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. So not to say that people necessarily did the right thing, but they knew they were doing the wrong thing when they did the wrong thing, yeah? Because there was an agreed set of absolutes, right and wrong, what's true, what isn't, mostly based on some kind of Judeo-Christian ethic from the Bible to some 
degree. Of course, we've, we've gone away from all of that now. And so what you're left with is a scenario where people within themselves determine what's right and what's wrong. And so we hate absolutes now. Because if you're telling me that if you're telling me this is right and this is wrong, that could encroach upon my lifestyle, my values that I've constructed and created, and that's sovereign territory. You don't touch that. Does that make sense? And so people really, really react against that. And so essentially, you can believe what you want as long as it doesn't encroach on what I believe, and we can all exist together. Now that's a, that's a world view. That's not just reality. That's a world view. And what you can find is, is that you can, like in a superstitious culture, you can become a Christian but maintain self-sovereignty. And so what you end up doing is you end up taking the bits of the Bible that you like and make you feel comfortable. Yeah, that's the kind of God I believe in. Oh, no, but not that, not that kind. No, no, I don't like that. Sound familiar? It's around a heck of a lot. So I don't, I don't like all that. But that, 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 doesn't fit, that doesn't sit well with me. And it's like, well, it could be that it doesn't sit well with you because you've misunderstood it. You've got to interpret the Bible properly. It doesn't sit well with you because it's challenging something about you and needs to be changed. And so it's so important as we become Christians that we step back and allow the biblical narrative, the story, to actually shape our worldview. So instead of it being about me, it's about him and what he's doing. I'm no longer the, the hero in the story. I've been, I'm in the story by his grace, but it's his story. Jesus is the hero. I'm no longer the final word. He is the final word. You see, this is how you become a genuine, fruitful disciple because you submit entirely to a brand new framework of thinking. It's very, very radical. And to try to syncretize gospel truth and a worldview that is very, very different from the Bible's one, you end up in real trouble. It doesn't work. You can't really run as you want. Now, the reason I'm talking about this today is because the psalm we're going to look at it's a bit of a parable, really, of, of the rhythm of what, it, what it's like when you become a believer. What it's like when God takes you through certain seasons. It's kind of it's one of those ones you look at and you go, wow, this is, this is something David went through when he was in a tough season. But it's kind of like I've been in so many pastoral conversations over the years. You think, this is what it's like. I myself, since I've known the Lord, you think, I recognize this pattern here. And the issue is, how do I interpret this pattern from a biblical worldview, I say, this is the way that God, when we give our lives to him, brings us to a place of confidence and maturity in him. And it feels quite cyclical. You feel like I've been around here before. Anyone ever felt that? But I think to be encouraged, it's a bit like a spiral staircase. You feel like you've been around here before, but you are going upwards. Okay, there is something very, very, there are cycles in the Christian life. You think, I know this, I know that, yes, but... The whole time, the Lord is maturing you through it and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And I wanted to say that because I feel as we immerse ourselves in this psalm today, that, that, that we understand it properly. This isn't about just someone's subjective experience. This is what happened to David. This is the way God deals with his people. It's bigger than that. And we are individuals and he deals with us individually, but his ways remain the same. So even though he knows how to deal with us, his ways are his ways. And all of us in our, in our culture of individualism will have very similar experiences walking with God. Why? Because we're walking with the same God. We're part of the same family. So it's important that we understand that's what's going on here. And that we really let God renew our worldview so that we're not 
we don't remain enslaved to strange ideas, strange fears, appetites, pride, things that would just cripple us. We say, no, Lord, renew our, renew our worldview. Amen? Psalm 57. Let's read it together, shall we? This is, um, again, it says here at the start, um, a miktam of David, which is like a musical term, it seems, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, there's two stories of David in the cave. We looked at one last week when he's in the cave of Adullam. And then, there's another, and then there's another one a couple of chapters later where he's in the cave with some warriors. And Saul, the king who wants to kill him, chooses the same cave in which to relieve himself. So the Bible's very honest about these things. And um, so Saul goes into the, to the cave and, and um, does what he needs to do. And David's there with his friends. And his friends say, God's given you into, him into your hand. It's the Lord kill him but David knows that this is this is God's anointed king even though the spirits left him and is now on David he says no but he says the Lord's anointed so he can't so he just cuts a bit off of his robe David's conscience is so sensitive that then he's 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 deeply troubled about the fact that he's cut the robe of the king so he goes outside he follows Saul outside and says I'm really sorry I've cut your robe you know and Saul to understandably comes under conviction and says, I am, I am a, I, you, you are a better man than me. You know, and, and they have this kind of conversation that seems conciliatory, but then later on Saul and his essential insanity turns on David again. But these are the two instances. It doesn't say which one it is, so we're not going to dig into the narrative, but just to say it's still that season of life where David is yet to ascend to the throne. Things are still very, very hard. So they reckon it's about seven years that David spent being persecuted by Saul before he came into his destiny, okay? So let's read together Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that um, as I speak, Lord, that you would be at work. We, we love the way that you work. Thank you you work through truth by your spirit. You set us free through truth. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and you sanctify us in your truth. So your word is proclaimed, Holy Spirit. 
instruct, renew, restore, do amazing things, I pray, in our lives through your word. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at this psalm in three sections. Um, I think it breaks down, if you look at it, you see there's a real structure. A lot of these psalms, they they weren't written on the hoof. There's a structure to them, and there's a very interesting um, structure here. So we're going to start, first of all, by studying these first... um, these first three verses here, um, where he says, he's basically saying, God, be merciful. There's a storm coming, and I'm hiding in you, and I'm waiting till this storm passes. I'm hiding in you. I'm trusting in you. You are going to work. You are going to act on my behalf. Okay? And the way I want to sum up this section of the, of the psalm is, is, is like this. I am waiting. You are alive. Okay? I am waiting, you are alive. And as you read the Bible, you find this idea of waiting for God is quite a central theme. It comes through quite a lot. Um, You find promises in the Bible, Isaiah 40, very famous one, those who wait on the Lord will... A bit more gusto, guys, come on. on. Those who wait on the Lord will... And then they will rise up on wings like eagles, they will not grow weary and faint. These wonderful promises... Later in Isaiah, it says God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Extraordinary promises. And throughout the psalm specifically, you'll find this theme coming through a lot of waiting, waiting, waiting. I will wait. I am waiting. If you, never, if you can't learn how to wait for God, you're going to struggle. Because let me tell you, his schedule is not like yours. It just isn't. And no matter how, you know... Sometimes in the Bible, God says to the people of Israel, you haven't learnt my ways. And it's like, how long does it take for us to realise that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our, not our thoughts. They are higher. But in our pride, we often feel, no, Lord, you don't understand. And how often is it that it goes to the wire? Anyone ever realise that? It often goes to the wire. What is that? Why does it go to the wire? What is this waiting on God thing? Here's what it is. When you, when you are waiting for God to deliver, rescue, save, protect you and these things, what's happening is, is your deepest anxieties and fears are, 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 being, are, are coming to the surface and you are in a season of pressure. You're being squeezed. And you think, why does God do this? It seems cruel. It seems cruel. And yet the Bible says God is good. What's happening there? Here's what's happening there. God's primary commitment is to glorify you. His primary commitment is to restore his image in you that was lost through the fall. And the depth of our fallenness goes, goes right down to the core of who we are. And so unless there are seasons where it goes to the wire and where things get narrow and pressed, we will only be, our, our character, our, our soul, who we are, will only be transformed to a superficial degree. And those areas of deep anxiety, fear, mistrust will not be challenged. But what, God knows what is needed to bring us through and to really glorify us. And so we, when we say, Lord, I want to be more like you, he says, okay. I know how to do that. And it's his kindness and his mercy and his love that does that. It's never malice. It's never evil. It's always good. But he will do that because what you will find out things about yourself in that process, won't you? Anyone ever been through a season like that and thought, oh, I thought I was way more mature than that? Anyone ever, anyone ever done that? 
thought I was way more patient than that. I thought I trusted God way more than that. And it was only that circumstance that helped you to see yourself, which keeps you from a kind of a delusional idea about yourself. It's only that happening there which brings you to that place where you say, Lord, yeah, I see, actually, I really do need you. You see, God knows what he's doing. I will wait. I will wait. But then there's this beautiful thing where there's this confidence in the waiting. It's not passive. Oh, there's this thing where, where he's saying, he says this, he says, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. He, God, God will send out his steadfast love. God fulfills his purpose for me. It's extraordinary confidence in the activity of God. Now, what you've got to realize about this was back in the day um, when this was written, everyone had a God they worshipped. Everyone had a God. There was no such thing really as secular. Everyone had a God. And, but, but those gods were statues. They were wooden statues, maybe covered in gold. They were, the, they were the creation of people's imaginations in their hands. And so they had their own God that they made. But, and God often says through the prophets, he says, well, they've got eyes, but they can't. Right? Well, yeah, I can see they've got, there's a little, they've got a mouth, but they can't speak. They, they've got hands and feet. They can't do anything. God says they're, they're, they're idols. They're the work, they are the creation of man's hands, whereas you are the creation of me. And this whole idea of God fulfilling his purpose, God coming and rescuing, is the, the backdrop behind it is this. This is the living God. He's not the creation of our imagination. He's not, he's not who we always necessarily you know, think he should or ought to be like. He is God. And if you're going to serve him, what you have to do is submit to who he truly is. But in the beauty and the glory and the, and, and, and the rhythm and harmony of that, what happens is, is that God himself goes to work in your life and speaks and acts and, and lets you know that he sees and he knows and it brings such comfort and safety. I tell you, some, sometimes people talk about the old Christian framework about a God who's always looking at you and they speak about it so negatively. Oh, a God who looks at you even when you're in the toilet. You know, you hear these things on the radio and it, it sounds so negative. Let me tell you, I find such comfort from the fact that he sees everything. It gives me such comfort. Not only because when I'm really struggling, I think, oh, well, I said that, but I didn't mean it like that. He's like, I oh, know. I know. It's like, Lord, you know. Yeah, you know. You saw my heart. It brings such comfort. Lord, you can see that I'm pacing up and down. I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, you know I'm the God who sees. When, the first time that's mentioned, I think, in the Bible in Genesis is when Sarah, is, when Hagar is cast out. And it, God comes to I'm the God who sees. It brings such comfort. It's beautiful. But not only does it bring comfort, it, it, it keeps me from nonsense. It keeps me from doing the kind of stuff in secret that my flesh wants to do, but that I know is fruitless and not pleasing to God. It keeps me in the field. No, he knows, he sees. It keeps me from living a double life. Just acting godly when I'm with other people and then, oh, no one can see. Now, yes, they can. He's the God who sees. So it's, 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 it's a beautiful blend. It's, we need both. We need that comfort, but we also need to know, yeah, actually I can, lift to my own devices, I can do stupid, foolish things. Hallelujah. He's the God who sees. Right, yeah, okay. So helpful. He's the living God. I will wait. He is alive. Then the next section of the psalm, if we go, we look down to this verse four. My soul's in the midst of lions. Gosh. I lie down amid fiery beasts. Speaks, talks of people whose teeth are spears and arrows, tongues are sharp swords. And then in the middle of it, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And then again, they set a net for my steps. My soul's bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. 
They've fallen into it themselves. And so section number one, I'm waiting. He is alive. Section number two, I am struggling. He is sovereign. See it there? You've got two sections where we're saying, I'm in trouble. My soul, I'm among, I'm among the lions. This is even before Daniel, the story of Daniel. We see it in the story of Daniel um, a few hundred years later, you know, where it's literal, you know, but here it's figurative. I feel I'm among the lions. I, any moment I could be torn apart. This is, ah, my soul, and I, I'm in trouble. And then later, even there, my soul is bowed down. But then he's, I'm struggling. It's like that sometimes. We do not at this church endorse that type of Christianity where no one is ever allowed to struggle. We don't endorse that. We feel that it's unbiblical, unhelpful, untruthful. It leads to people pretending there are seasons of immense struggle in life and it goes for Christians too. Sometimes our souls are bowed down. They are. It doesn't mean we're not trusting God. But it just means, man, alive, I'm struggling. It's okay. It's such a tragic thing if you ever create a community or a church where people only ever rock up when they're doing okay. <laughs> when they're doing bad, they stay away. You think, what have we created? Bowed down, my soul is bowed down. I'm finding this hard. This is weighing on me. I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm finding it hard. And yet in the middle of it, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory go over the earth. Now, this is wonderful because in those seasons, you, you're sort of a bit stuck, aren't you? <laughs> you know, when you're really struggling, you're stuck, you don't know what to do. You haven't got the answers. And it, sometimes it's a bit annoying when other people think they have. <laughs> you know, you think, no, please, just don't. You know, it's like that sometimes. You think, no, there is, it's a season. I'm in it. I'm struggling. And, you know, yeah, let's stand with each other. But you can't solve it. We're gonna, God's going to get me through. So there's no clever solutions. But I'll tell you what there is in the midst of it. Do you know what? God is on his throne. I tell you, God is on his throne. I find such comfort from that in these sorts of seasons. You know, sometimes you say, hey, doing? I'm doing all right. You know what? But Jesus is still on his throne. It's wonderful. You think, well, what is that? I tell you, because he is the rock. I'm built on him. Even when I'm struggling and my soul is bowed down, I'm still not going to... Hallelujah, by his grace, I haven't got to run headlong into sin. I haven't got to start misbehaving. I haven't got to start living in an unloving way. I can say, well, I don't really know quite what to do, but you know what? He's, he's, he's on his throne. He's on his throne. That's beautiful. That's biblical. That's profound. I tell you, those of us we, who, who, who we are born again Christians, we've known... The grace of God has broken into our lives. Haven't we? We've known it. Whether it's when we were a little child or as an adult, we've known God has come to us in Jesus. He's, he's come to us. And he's opened our eyes and we've seen it and we understand that this, this eternal life we have now in him, it's a gift. It's not a reward. It's a gift. Just come to us. God has done it all. The Father sent the Son. The Son did the work. The Son lived the perfect life. The Son died in our place. The Son rose on our behalf. The Son is ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father and the Son send the Spirit to empower us and, and, and open our eyes to this amazing message. It's been done for us. It's a gift. It's the grace of God. Hallelujah. And you know, when you, when you enter into that reality, gospel reality... Something happens where you go, do you know what? I just cannot be argued out of this. I know because I know because I know because I know. 
And sometimes it's very inconvenient. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think, I wish sometimes, you know what, Lord, it would be easier to sort of pretend I didn't believe this anymore. And I could do all kinds of naughty stuff. You know, it would be a lot more straightforward. I'd say, well, I just, uh, I wouldn't know. I know because I know what can I do. The Holy Spirit's opened my eyes. I know Jesus is Lord. So sometimes, I, sometimes I'll say, be exalted, oh Lord, from the mountaintop. And I'm dancing, singing. Other times my soul, bow, my soul is bowed down. But I can still say, you're king. You're king. That's how it is. That's what's happening here. You are, when you go through that, you're entering into what the saints of old have walked in for millennia. This is, this is what God does. But it doesn't end there. Verses 7 onwards. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Wow, he's in a different place now, isn't he? I'll give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I'll sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Point one, I'm waiting. He's alive. Point two, I'm struggling. He is sovereign. Point three, I am well. He is faithful in his steadfast love. You know what? God is the God of deliverances. God will never take you through a winter and not bring you out into a spring. He won't do it. He's the God of resurrection. He might lead you into a winter, but I tell you, he'll bring you through and out into spring and summer. He will. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's what he does. I love that my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. It's interesting. He's talking about his soul is bowed down, but my heart. What are these words? Well, soul, there's a lot of discussion about it and scholars and theologians. So I'll throw in my two penneth worth and I won't call any controversy, so don't worry. But what you find in Genesis is that, is that both the humans and the, and the animals are called living souls, interestingly. So they're both called souls, living souls. And, and the idea is, is that they're not just physical, but they've been animated. They, they've been animated. This is that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. So the spirit of God breathed into him and he, his, 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 um, the clay was animated with life. And so I think it, it, it talks about the, the, animate, the animation of who we are. It's, it becomes, but the whole, even the external person... Is animated by that life. So it's the whole person. I think that the soul, rather than being a part of us, is I'm a living soul. You're a living soul. And so, and so when he's saying my soul is bowed down and my soul is among the lion, he said, do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he said? The whole of me, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. I'm in trouble here. It's not just a bit, but I'm in trouble. But the heart, that word there means center. Center. And what he's saying is, but you know what? At my core, there's a steadfastness. I'm in trouble. But at my core, there's a steadfastness. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when you are born again, you get a brand new heart. When you, are born, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as a, as a free gift and as your Lord, I tell you, the Bible says that your heart of stone is taken out and you're given a heart of flesh. And right at the center of yourself is placed the, the living breath, power, presence of God. 
And it, it brings a steadfastness that is supernatural. It's just like God's done it. God has operated on me by his spirit. I'm now a new creation. And so even though I'm bowed down and I'm struggling here, you know what? Something at the very center of me is steadfast. He's got me. He's got me. And I won't be blown over. Hallelujah. I won't be blown. We, we will not be blown over. I'm fixed. That way. I'm fixed. I'm awake. I'm thankful. I'm singing. I'm well. He gets, he's clearly, in, just in the verses before, he talks about those who are arrayed against him. They've dug a pit and they've fallen into it themselves. He's, he's starting to see the deliverance of God. He's starting to see God come through and sweep out of the way these lions. Just get them out of the way. They've, they've, they, you know, they, they've gone from being the hunter, the hunter to the hunted. They've, they've just fallen. They've gone. And he's like, God, you've done it. And he, he begins to lift and say, I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to make music to you. I even love that. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait the dawn. Oh, great. What a wonderful image. I'm going to be making some noise to you so much so we're going to even get, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in the daytime with my songs to you, O oh Lord. And it's not some little private thing. He says, I will give thanks to you among the peoples. I will praise you among the nations. It's like, Lord, I'm going to make it known you are good. I'm not going to hold this to myself. What a wonderful prayer earlier about, you know, how can we go unless you've been sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? We don't keep this to ourselves. We bless, we tell of what he has done to anyone who will hear. Amen. Amen. For your steadfast love, this is the key, this is the core. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Whatever I'm going through, Whatever's over me, your steadfast love and faithfulness are higher than it. We will not be moved. We're able to stand. We're able to be victorious. And this comes through, this is, this is essentially the theme of last week's sermon and the sermon before that. And you think, well, why? Well, it's because we're in a similar season of David's life. But, you know, actually, you have to go around these things a few times sometimes, don't you? You have to go around it. And there's something about, I'll end with this, there's something about Learning the art of repetition as a believer, if you want to do well. If you're not happy to repeat things, to repeat lessons, to repeat... Sometimes, the other day I was thinking to myself, you know, you praying in tongues. We don't all pray in tongues, but I pray in tongues. I pray in other languages I haven't learned. And anyone, ever, anyone who's got the gift ever thought to themselves, sounds a bit repetitive. Anyone ever thought that? Right, sounds a bit repetitive. Sometimes it's better than others, but sometimes it's a bit repetitive, yeah. And I think that... And then, you know what, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? I actually think my prayers in English are pretty repetitive. Do you know, I thought, I think I say the same old stuff to him again and again and again. I said, wonder he's not bored to death of me. I just say the same things. And that sort of heartened me, because I thought, okay, maybe I'm not making it up then, you know. I think, no, this is real. And, you know, I've known times where God's... God's come on me in praying in, in other languages in an extraordinary way, you know. Where you think, wow, this is very, sounds very different. But very often there's some similar things where I think, well, that's probably, again, similar to my praying in English. Sometimes you just really got an eloquent. You go, whoa, I'm flying. Yes, Lord, it's all just coming out in English. Other times you, you think it's the same old stuff. So, Lord, I really need you. <laughs> Lord, I'm in a bit of trouble over here. You know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite similar. Um, it is a bit like that, but I think there's something about repetition that God's built into creation. Have you ever noticed the 24-hour rhythm? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It's quite repetitive. <laughs> oh, wow, sunset! You know, but yeah, it probably happened, it might happen the day before, and we were saying the same thing. It, life is repetitive. It just is. 
And if you're always looking for novelty or some crazy thing that's never happened before, there may be something wrong with you. Sorry. <laughs> didn't, mean, didn't mean to come out that blunt, but there may be. You might just be addicted to, to novelty, addicted to adrenaline. Addicted, just addicted to adrenaline. Things would be different. You've got to, if you want to bear fruit, you've got to put your roots down. It's quite repetitive, drinking in, bearing fruit. There is something about it, but it's... But with him in it, there's a freshness. There's a freshness. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's, a, there's, a, there's always surprises. His ways are on our ways. There's always surprises. There are extraordinary, wonderful breakthroughs that we are privileged to experience a lot, I think. So much happens, even as a staff, when we meet as a staff team on Tuesday mornings. Just from week to week, we do the same thing. But the story, you think, this is extraordinary what God is doing. He said, we're in a great, great place. But there is, a, there is something about it where you go, there's, there's a pattern here that you have to submit to. And you have to be able to live in that. Even coming on a Sunday. Sometimes, you know what? There's certain things, we, as you mature, you just say, I'm just doing that. I'll just go. It's not about how do I feel. You just go. Because otherwise you end up being driven here and everywhere by your emotions. And I don't know about you, but if I was to live like that, it's not going to go well. I can wake up feeling any, any number of ways. It's not, no, 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 my heart is fixed on him. Just do, what's going to, do what he says and do what's going to be good for me, because I trust him. Amen? Amen. And he'll bring us through, and we will enjoy victory, and we'll all look at each other in the new heavens and the new earth, and we'll say, ha, ha, ha. Isn't this good? We'll go, yeah, it's amazing. All the good stuff we enjoy now here without any of the bad stuff. Plus a whole lot of other surprises, I'm sure. Why don't we just stand together? Why don't we, maybe the musicians could help us. Let's read verses 7 to 11 together, shall we? Just finish with that. And then let's do, let's do these things that, 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 that David is saying. We, we get to do this together. Let's, let's read out loud in a, in a hearty way, verse 7 to the end. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen.